Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Today, I'm joined in studio once again. Welcome back to Julie Varadi. She is the co-founder and chief brand officer of Denizen's Brewing Company. Julie, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Now, for our listeners who maybe are not familiar with Denizen's, you want to give them a little... little... little spiel? little spiel? <laughs> sure. Uh, so we were uh, founded and opened our doors in 2014. Mm-hmm. So our five-year anniversary is actually this coming July. Congratulations. Thank you. It's pretty exciting. Uh, it's kind of funny. You think back, it's like a flash in the pan, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, me and my wife, Emily Bruno, and our brother-in-law, Jeff Ramirez, who founded the company, and uh, we are opening our doors to our second location, uh, our production house and tap room in Riverdale Park this coming Saturday, May 25th. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So your original location... Silver Spring, Silver Maryland. Silver Spring, Maryland, right, yep. right downtown, very easy to get to. Yeah, whether you're driving, walking, taking the bus, taking the metro. Biking. Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Um, so I wanted to have you on the show because I wanted to talk about what it takes to expand a brewery, what it takes to expand a brand, Mm -hmm. um, and the decisions that go into it and the work that goes into it. And considering you are in the throes of it in this very moment, (laughs) definitely feels thank you for, thank you for (laughs) squeezing us in, um, who better to talk about this. So let's start off with what, at what point? Do you want to expand? Um, I think for us, you know, we, um, our, our brew house over in the Silver Spring location is a 15-barrel brew house. Uh, and so for those of you who don't know what I mean by that, mm-hmm. um, to put it in layman's terms, every time we brew a batch of beer, we're making about 30 kegs worth of that beer. And so uh, in terms of capacity over in Silver Spring, we don't actually have any more room to add tanks, to increase the size of the brew house. Um, to add cold storage, et cetera, all the things you need in order to expand your capacity for production. And we realized about three years ago that we had maxed out on capacity in terms of hitting what uh, the demand was for our product. Uh, and so, and that includes uh, on-premise sales yeah, on, and then also off-premise sales. Yeah, for, for on-premise, I mean, we'd be fine. If we weren't mm-hmm. doing any wholesale, we wouldn't need to expand at all. Okay. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if we were... <laughs> If we were selling that much beer in our tap room, that would be 
awesome. <laughs> you just um, like have your little tap right. room and don't yeah, have to worry about exactly. it. Exactly. No, I mean, we do sell a lot of beer in our tap room. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but, um, you know, wholesale is a part of our business model. So we obviously sell on premise in our tap room. We have a full restaurant as mm-hmm. well. So we're kind of like a brew pub production brewery hybrid in that way. Excellent French fries there, by the by. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and you sell to what, DC, mm-hmm. Maryland, and Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, and that's and it. That's it. That's okay. it. We don't sell anywhere else beyond that. You know, uh, most of our beers sold either in Montgomery County or uh, DC proper mm-hmm. for, in terms of wholesale. Uh, but we are looking at uh, signing with distributors and getting our beer out there to more folks throughout the state of Maryland. You know, because we self-distribute right now, uh, we don't really have the manpower uh, to be able to sell beer all of the time everywhere in the state of Maryland. We just don't have that capacity. So we need to partner with a distributor in order to scale that. And just, I just want to pause real quick to talk about how hard self-distribution is. (laughs) There's just, there's so many breweries that have come on the show or people that we've talked to on the show that I think it just gets, oh yeah, we self-distribute, da, da, da. Like, yeah, it's so, so, so hard. You know, when you see big distribution trucks from the from the big guys who do this mass distribution, they have these big refrigerated trucks. Mm -hmm. Um, We're here in Adams Morgan. I'm sure, you know, in the middle of 18th Street, you guys have seen the big semis parked and they just unload kegs. Um, But self-distribution means you've got a van. Right. Right. We actually have a 16 foot uh, reefer box truck. Okay. well, that's. That's awesome. That's awesome. But well, a lot I of don't times, know how awesome <laughs> it is because it breaks down quite a lot, uh, and that's one of the one of the things with self distribution that I think a lot of folks don't think about is mm-hmm. you've got all the truck maintenance that you have to deal with. You know, we're registered with the U.S. Department of Transportation, so we have to go through all the DOT hurdles and regulatory stuff mm-hmm. um, in order to make sure that we're you know above board. Um, so yeah, no self distribution is definitely difficult. You know, you're doing everything from you know, capturing accounts, selling the actual beer itself, maintaining those relationships with the beer buyers around the area. Uh, but you're also collecting payment. You're chasing people down when they don't make payment, you know, and that, that can be kind of a, a conflict because as a salesperson, you want to be positive all the time. But if one of your accounts isn't <laughs> paying isn't their paying checks, it's then. like, you know, that, that conflict can get created. So you're acting like everything within that, within that stream. So, um, you know, and it's, you know, tracking, tracking all the invoices and the keg credits and all of those things, you got to come up with SOPs for all of these different processes. And quite frankly, there's not a lot of information out there uh, Mm -hmm. about how you do it. You know, so for the last five years, we kind of developed our systems and how we self-distribute. And I'm sure there's ways we could do it better. You know, we're constantly trying to look at how do we be more efficient? You know, one of the things that um, the distributors have that's an advantage is, you know, they walk into a bar and they say, hey, would you like to buy beer from us? Here's our entire portfolio, right? Like you've mm-hmm. got 30 to 50 different breweries that you can choose from. So if you're a bar, you're going to order, you know, 20 to 30 kegs and a bunch of cases and all those things. Whereas we walk in and it's like, hi, would you like to buy our beer? And it's like, it's just our brand. These are the different options we have. But how do you make money on a delivery if someone's like, well, I only really only need two cases from you? It's like, well, at that point, I'm paying you to buy my beer. And so yeah. coming up with minimums and those types of things, it's really difficult. Um, yeah, and ordering minimums are hard. And yeah. ordering minimums basically mean, you know, when you're buying beer or, you know, wine or liquor, they give you a minimum. You need to spend at least this mm-hmm. much money or you need to buy this many cases for, you know, to be worth our while. And if you're 
restaurant manager in D.C. or mm-hmm. any other major city, storage is finite. Right. And, you know, sometimes, if, especially if you're managing a place that is more wine-focused or more cocktail-focused and you're not moving through beer as much, sure. you're, you're not going to order five kegs. Right. It's asinine. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's, um, you know, that's definitely been an issue for us. And it kind of comes, comes back to your first question about, like, why, why and how do you know when you should expand? Mm-hmm. You know, when you're walking into a place and, you know, because of our capacity um, barriers that we have right now, You know, sometimes, you know, when Ben or Jackson are out on the street trying to sell our beer, we have like an order minimum, but we only have like two brands that you can buy buy. So it's like not only is there a minimum you have to order from one brand, but you only have like one or two choices from that brand. And so how do they hit their minimums? And that's that's something because of our capacity constraints. We've not been able to consistently have all the product 100 percent of the time. We've got out of stocks, et cetera. Mm hmm. And so the thing that I'm excited about is that this new location is going to allow us to not have to have that issue anymore. Um, I'm sure something will happen at some point, but at least it will um, reduce the odds of that happening. So, okay, so your current system, remind me again, is 15 15 barrels. barrels, And then the new system. The new system is going to be a 30-barrel brew house, and we're going to be brewing into 60-barrel fermenters. Whereas in Silver Spring, it's a 15-barrel brew house that brews into 15-barrel fermenters. So when Mm. we do a couple turns a day, we're going to be able to produce 60 barrels a day as opposed to 15 barrels a day uh, in our our new location. And And our plan is to be making our core beers over in Riverdale Park. Mm-hmm. Still making a bunch of seasonals and whatnot over in Silver Spring. We're going to be increasing our barrel age program and our mixed fermentation program that I think a lot of people know us for. Um, you know, with our Make It Funky Fest that we do every year in the fall, it's it's a style of beer that we really like to showcase. Yeah. So we'll be able to do more of that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So with the new system, you said you're going to be kind of like cranking out a lot of the... I know people don't like the term, but flagship beers. Sure, flagship, core, whatever, <laughs> core, year-round. Core, year-round <laughs> offerings. Um, and just from a brewery's perspective, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know this, this is this is a good thing to have mm-hmm. because it creates consistency for the brand, yep. but also it makes you money. Yeah. This is where the profits are. Yeah. Um, if you base your entire business plan on, you know, boutique barrel aged with fruit Mm -hmm. um it's a lot harder to make that profit because those beers take a lot of time they take a lot of money they take a lot of space yep they do and they don't necessarily turn as quickly in the tanks Mm -hmm. you know you know our core beers we have an ipa we have an esb we have a czech style pilsner and a belgian style triple um that's three different types of yeast strains that we're using for our core beers which is also Quite frankly, a lot. Most people with their core beers will have one, maybe two different yeast strains. And then they play around with the malts and right. the hops and exactly. fermentation and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, that's complex in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are recipes that we've developed over the last five years. They've really, t- you know, they're tight. Um, we know what we're doing. We're making these beers. And I c- kind of think, like, if you want to really see how well a brewery is doing and whether or not, you know, their beer is consistent, is drink their core beers. You know, buy that six pack of the Czech Pilsner, you know, our Born Bohemian mm-hmm. one month and buy it two months later. You see if it tastes the same. You know, I mean, that's really the thing. The core beers are the recipes that are most well developed. You're making it the same way every single time. And you're right. I mean, that's that is the thing that really carries our brand. You know, yeah. and those are the things that we distribute the most of as our, our core beers because people are familiar with it. I think they're approachable styles uh, and it's, you know, 
the things that we're really excited and proud of and the stuff that we like to drink a lot of. Yeah. And, you know, consistency is something that is, it's, it's the hardest thing, I think, to achieve in brewing. Mm-hmm. You know, people give, uh, you know, roll their eyes to, you know, Bud Light and whatever, but to make that beer mm-hmm. taste the same no matter where you are, considering that they have tons of brewing locations all over the U.S., like, yeah. The, that's just impressive. It's extremely impressive. I, t- I totally agree with you. And it's and at the scale that they're doing it. Yeah. Not even just that they have multiple brewing locations. It's the amount of barrels that they're making every time they make it. Um, you know, I would never sit here and claim to be no. know, <laughs> as well tuned in as Budweiser in terms of production. But, you know, I think that Jeff and his team have really, um, they've done really, really well yeah. uh, in tightening up recipes and really showcasing that consistency. You know, it's one of the things that I find interesting and sort of culturally within the beer industry right now where Mm -hmm. a lot of it is, oh, you know, check out this new beer that we've never made before, released this weekend, you know, trying to drive lines at the door. And it's like, okay, well, if you re-release that beer six times in a row, maybe I'll come by and try it, you know. And for me, that's what I look for is inconsistency in recipes. If you're constantly making brand new recipes and never repeating your brews, Mm -hmm. how are you learning as a brewer? Right? How are you really tightening up yeah. what you're doing and your skills and tweaking things? And so that to me, I, I have a lot of respect for breweries that make the same beers and they make them consistently time and time and time again. Because I think that really showcases the skill set of the brewing team. Yeah, for sure. Plus, I mean, think about the core beers that you've seen from breweries, you know, all over. Those core beers have improved and tweaked mm-hmm. and gotten better. I mean, when you first, I, you know, I can't imagine way back in the day, for example, when you first released Allagash White, right. you know, there have been tweaks over the years. Sure. And, you know, you buy Allagash White, it's going to be just as good as the last time you had it. Yeah, it's um, a great beer. It's an amazing beer, but everyone's got a first pancake. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Everybody has a first pancake. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on Beer Me with Full Service Radio with our guest, Julie Verratti from Denizen's Brewing Company. Welcome back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I am joined in studio uh, by Julie Verratti. She's the co-founder and chief brand officer of Denizen's Brewing Company in Silver Spring, Maryland, soon to be expanded in the next five days. <laughs> so we were talking about, you know, how important it is to have those core brands, mm-hmm. I mean, have those core beers, um, have consistency mm-hmm. and build on that. And then, you know, kind of have one-offs and have fun and that sure. kind of thing. Um, now your production facility is going to produce a lot of your core brands. Yep. Uh, will there be a tasting room there? Yes. We will have a full tap room and restaurant, uh, just like the one in Silver Spring mm-hmm. in terms of like what's going to be on the menu. The only difference is that our, um, in Silver Spring, we do offer spirits. Mm-hmm. But not really. It's not fancy. Uh, we're not making cocktails over there. We're making mixed drinks, right? <laughs> Don't come in there asking for some fancy cocktail because you're not going to get it. 
However, in Riverdale Park, we actually have like a full cocktail menu. Oh, wow. Um, so we'll have, you know, spirits, cocktails, uh, wine, cider, mead, uh, as well as Denizen's beer. And any non-alcoholic options? Or? Sure. No, yeah, we'll, yeah, have, yeah. we'll have oh, okay. sodas and stuff like that, juice, iced tea. You nice. Know. Yeah, something I love about Denizen's is like you actually get to see a community there. Mm-hmm. You actually get to see families. And yeah. it's, it's, you know, it makes you feel like this is like, pre-prohibition like beer (laughs) community area that people used to hang out or something like that um so i want to talk about how as you produce more beer Mm -hmm. and as you have these uh consistent core beers Mm -hmm. and these are going to be hopefully ideally uh distributed to other places, other states, maybe? Mm, probably not. Just I think, Virginia I think, and Maryland and D.C., yeah, but expanding within those markets. Expanding within those markets, but mostly Maryland and then D.C., and then you'll, you'll see us more so in Virginia over the next couple of years. So as a brand grows, it's really important to kind of stay <clears throat> true to the culture and stay true to who you are and, you know, making sure that you're represented, even as something as you know simple as a label or something sure. like that. How are you all handling that? How are you, how are those discussions going as far as, you know, with expansion? Um, you know, like in terms of labeling or just sort of labeling in Labeling or, you know, how you're trying to stay true to your culture, stay true to who you are. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. You just try to figure it out. You know, we've, we've definitely onboarded a lot more staff in mm-hmm. the last uh, couple months just to prepare for the expansion. You know, and as a small business, that can get a little tight because, you know, we're hiring an AGM and a GM for the second location, but it's not open yet. Right. So they're training yeah. now in Silver Spring. You know, we've We've plussed up the brewing team, both for Riverdale Park as well as Silver Spring, but we're only brewing in Silver Spring right now. And in Mm -hmm. fact, the first brew day in Riverdale is happening this week. So um, that's partly why Jeff couldn't join me today, (laughs) because he's over in Riverdale dealing with that. Um, So that that can be a little tough. Um, I do think that, you know, we have a lot of systems in place that we're just training people on. So as new staff comes on board, um, we're showing them sort of this is how we do it here. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I do appreciate about our company and our culture is that if a staff member has a, a better idea to do something, you know, we'll adopt it. Um, you've had Ben Hunter on here a few times. And, yeah. you know, he's come up with a lot of really good ideas and we've sort of changed some of our processes because of it. Uh, you know, we try to be we try to be open to that and constantly learning and trying to, you know, keep training ourselves and training our staff. Um, so collaborative. Yeah, we try yeah. to be. I mean, I'm sure... Every once in a while, you got to pull the boss card out and say, sorry, this is how we do it. Yeah. But, um, but we try to be collaborative for sure. Um, you know, we use a, there's a, there was a local company uh, named Alter Ego that helped us do the rebrand that we did uh, for our company. Yeah. I think it was about a year and a half, two years ago. Because I noticed your, your uh, branding changed yeah. a little bit. It definitely changed. Um, I, and part of that was because when we were first opening five years ago, mm-hmm. we didn't really have the cash and the budget to really have an entirely like lined up brand situation um and so we sort of piecemealed it you know like my buddy from high school like developed our first logo and then like another friend like designed the cans and none of it was really comprehensive but alter ego came on and helped us a couple years ago to really do the rebrand and do it from top to bottom oh wow um since then, there's so a, there's consistency. There's consistency. We're back on consistency, exactly. <laughs> um, which is it's a big deal for your brand because you want people to be you know relate to it, and when they see it, they recognize it up and down the board. Uh, but there's a there's a local artist who helps design our cans now, and we're actually launching 
our uh, PGC Premium, which is an American premium lager um, named PGC for Prince George's County, mm-hmm. um, where our second location is going to be. Uh, and we're going to be releasing that in cans in the next uh, month or so. And so that, that'll be a, a new can coming out. And that's a, that's a design that we use this local artist to help us, to help us create. Um, and again, trying to stay consistent with the type of branding that we do. So when you, and you know, I know we're on radio so no one can see the brand, but <laughs> the brand right now, it's, it's very sleek, mm-hmm. it's very modern, it's mm-hmm. also very simple, Yep. Um, which is all good for, you know, branding 101. Sure. Um, but what were some maybe disagreements or maybe what were some decisions that went into that? Or I sure. want it like this because of this. Sure. So I'll talk specifically about our tap handle, okay. right? So the tap handles that we have now, it's just a square. Mm-hmm. It's got our brand colors, so it's white and blue and orange. Um, but it's just very clear. It just says Denizens Brewing Company, right? And then it says Unified by Beer on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason we wanted to do it as simple as that, it's not ornate, it's just like a square tap handle, is because it is something that Emily brought up first, and I was like, yeah, you're totally right. You know, Emily and I are both women, and... Mm-hmm. Um, Emily's a little shorter than I am, right? So we were think she was thinking like whenever I'm in a crowded bar and I just want to get a beer and I look up at the tap handles, I want to be able to quickly read something and just know what it is and order it like that. And so the idea behind it was we want something that is so crystal clear. This is Denizens Brewing Company beer. So if someone's sitting in the bar and there are few feet few people back, you know, they can just point to it and say, Hey bartender, give me the Denizens Brewing Company. I know what that is, I know what brand that is. I want to take that beer. And so that was sort of part of um, that went into our decision and how we wanted to have a very simple, streamlined uh, brand design and specifically about our tap handles. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It makes sense. It does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and they stand out there. They've got that kind of bright white, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does kind of stand out among the, among the line. And you know what, though? I am a big proponent of uh, not doing specialized tap handles. Mm-hmm. I, I think a bar looks cleaner yep. and, and just better when the, all the tap handles are just, you know, plain metal or, or you know, I agree with same. you. No, I totally agree with yeah. you. I prefer that as well. But mm-hmm. you got to design tap handles. And yes, there's a because lot of for bars, bars that do that. They exactly. use them. Yeah. Um, and I think ours pop because of that. No. Yeah, for sure. Now, another part of your branding is you, like you've said, you've included this really fun artwork, like where there's been like kind of more whimsical looking animals. Mm -hmm. And I like the contrast of these very kind of sleek, simple, modern lines. Mm -hmm. And then these more kind of like sketchy, whimsical Mm -hmm. animals. What, what prompted that? Uh, We just wanted to have fun with it. Yeah. Um, And I, I, it makes the designs more complicated because you actually have to have an illustrator draw them by hand. And then you put them into the computer in order to print them. Uh, but I just, I think it's, it's pretty cool looking. Uh, yeah. It's sort of like collect all the characters, right? I, I, I enjoy it. Um, the, uh, you'll see that we have a new caricature for the uh, yes. PGC Premium coming out that you'll see. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, that kind of marketing like totally plays to me. You know how they've always teased people like if you buy, people buy wine bottles if they yeah. have an animal on them or exactly. something like that. Yeah, of course Collect I'm that. I am that person. Of course I am that person. No, I mean, it's a smart branding thing. You know, if you think about like Snapple facts, for example. Yes. Like, like, oh, I want to get another Snapple so I can collect all the facts. Mm -hmm. um, Somewhat of the same thing. Have you seen Snapple facts lately? No, I haven't bought a Snapple in years. No, (laughs) I haven't bought a Snapple in years and years. And I bought one recently. And the, the, 
the fact was very lame. Oh, really? Very lame. They really need to really need, need to up the game on that <laughs> on those. Just you know, no offense, Snapple. I'm sorry. You guys make great great beverages. <laughs> Going off topic here. Um, so, all right. So the tap room and mm-hmm. the new brew production house opens in a week. Yep, Saturday, May 25th, 11 a.m. May 25th at 11 a.m. How? I mean, you told me a moment ago that you're exhausted. Yes, but. <laughs> This is exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a long time in the making. You know, the first time we stopped by the the space that we actually signed the lease on, did the build out, and we're opening mm-hmm. our doors this Saturday, was August of 2017. So <clears throat> it's been almost two years uh, yeah. in order to get this open. And part of that was, you know, it took a long time to negotiate the lease. Yeah, but in D.C. terms, two years, that's really not that bad. <laughs> I guess. I, I guess. It just, you know, when you're living in it, it feels, no, it like, feels forever. like a decade. But, um, yeah, I mean, when we took over the space, and it's in this really, really cool development. Um, it's just, it's not too far outside of D.C. It's in Riverdale Park. And in fact, I've got a lot of friends who live in Brookland who go and do their grocery shopping there because... Uh, it's a development. It's a mixed-use development. There's a Whole Foods as well as a Starbucks. There's you know District Taco. There's a Corporate Gold's Gym. There's some really cool stuff there, and uh, we're going to be I guess the third anchor tenant to go in. But nice. when we first signed the lease, it was a completely and totally empty space, gravel floors. There wasn't even cement down. You know we had to put everything in from the plumbing to the gas, the electrical to the HVAC unit, the entire thing. And so what? That, that made it more expensive, obviously, but what that allowed us to do was create everything we wanted from scratch. You know, when we signed in Silver Spring, and I think a lot of people have this experience, is you're kind of cramming a brewery into a building that already exists, and you kind of have to, like, figure out the sort of nooks and crannies of where you can put things. Yeah. Whereas here, it was just a completely open space, so we were able to design the rooms how we wanted it, where do we want the walls, where do we want the brew house to be located, and we didn't have to worry about oh, you got to take that wall down or you got to move that thing in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You just build it from the ground up. Uh, it also was, it was also scary to do it that way because it, it forces you to make a decision on literally everything. Whereas when you jam it into a building that already exists, it's just, some of those decisions are made for you already. Yeah. Uh, but the, the cool thing is that, you know, uh, we do lab work in Silver Spring now and um, we are, but the, we don't have the space to actually have a full-on room that is a lab. Yeah. So, you know, you pull out all of the equipment and stick it on the lower tap room bar and then put it back when you're done. Whereas in Riverdale, we actually were able to build an entire room dedicated just to do lab work. Nice. And last is, episode, we had Matt Humbard on to talk oh, about nice. the importance of lab work for a brewery. It is very important. Yeah. yeah. Matt definitely knows his stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank I'm you so much, Sarah very Jane. excited for you all and I'm excited to check it out this is, oh. this is going to be a really fun space I feel like I hope so thank yeah. you so check out uh, Denizens in Riverdale Park this coming Saturday and on and on uh, and don't on. everybody come just on Saturday please <laughs> Um, and, you know, also go to Silver Spring. Show those guys some love. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Catch you next week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, send me an email at beermeradio at gmail.com or catch me on Instagram at beermeradio. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>